Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. I'm Jack and once again I'm joined by Benji and Ale. On this podcast, we show the humans behind the whistle through the eyes of referees past and present, as well as the broader footballing world. Today's guest is a really special one, Carol Ann Shenard. She's a decorated international referee. What hasn't she done in the female game? She officiated at the 2011 World Cup, the 2012 Olympic Games, the 2015 World Cup, and the 2016 Olympic Games, where she refereed the final between Sweden and Germany. And she was all set to go to her third Women's World Cup in France in 2019, but unfortunately was diagnosed with breast cancer. What a career. Incredible. What a career indeed, Jack. It's impressive to look at all these achievements. I keep saying it, she is a mindset champion. What we learned and what we were able to discuss with her about her experience at the World Cup and Olympic Games, how she dealt with unexpected circumstances and her resilience when things didn't go away or when things got hard, so inspiring. The main takeaway was controlling what you can. When things don't go the way you expected, just focus on the things where you can make the biggest difference. Put your energy into those things, keep going, keep trying, do your best and seize the day, seize the opportunity. This was a really, really special one. I learned a lot out of it personally. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Let's get on with the show. Britain and Brazil, the motherland of the sport, meets the biggest name in the sport at international level. As the teams are led out by today's referee, Caroline Chenard of Canada, in front of what may be a record crowd for a women's football match in the United Kingdom. Hey, Caroline. Hey, how are you? Very good. Thank you. Very good. Caroline, obviously you've had an incredible refereeing career that's taken you all over the world to some of the biggest tournaments in world football. But where did it begin? And in particular, I'm really interested to hear about, I uh, read you're a a world record holder before you got into refereeing. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that maybe before we kick into your refereeing story? I think that's fascinating. Sure. It's not every day that uh, you you meet a world record holder. <laughs> well, well, we'll get into that. I think, you know, I've always been involved in a lot of sports. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, I played many, many different sports. My parents were putting me in a, in a lot of different sports. And uh, I had started, I lived in Ottawa when I was young. And, uh, I, you know, one of the sports I learned to do was just skate across in a little rink across the street from my house. And when we moved, my dad was in the military. So when we moved across the country to our new location, you know, my mom was like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, let's try skating. So we joined, you know, a learn to skate program, let's say in, um, in my, in, in Saskatchewan, where, where we had moved and you know the 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 program was being run by the speed skating club and they said to me you know well you already know how to skate how about you try and come out and try speed skating and there happened to be a competition like almost right after I, I started and I competed, you know, I, I think it was like five years old in this little competition uh, for speed skating. And I kind of, I was really hooked at the same, at that time I was doing other sports. I was, you know, competitive swimming and doing all of that. And as I kind of continued in my development, we got to a point where, you know, I had to make a decision. What do I want to do? Do I want to skate? Do I want to swim? And I decided I really loved speed skating. And so it kind of started from there. And, um, you know, I was exposed really early on in, in speed skating to national competitions and things like that. 
And um, I'm really competitive. What I've realized over the years is like, I love the day-to-day, the competing, the the challenges, the training, the hard work, the the camaraderie and the teamwork. And so speed skating gave that to me, but it was also, you know, an individual sport in a sense, right? You were out there by yourself, you know, skating, you know, in short track speed skating, which is eventually what I, where I landed, you know, when I was young, I did both, but I eventually landed in short track. It's, it's first one across the finish line, right? It's, it's tactics. It's going slow sometimes, but going really fast other times. So I was really, really lucky, but throughout my skating career, I continued even in high school to play volleyball and basketball and soccer, but I really love speed skating. And when I uh, went to university, I, I qualified for the national team there. And anybody who follows short track speed skating knows that Canada is one of the strongest teams in the world. So really difficult to get on the national team. You know, I was able to compete at world cups. You know, I had some great, races I would say you know because our team is so strong we broke the world record I would never say I held the record very long (laughs) I think you know you break it and then somebody breaks it right after you or you break it at the same time as you're competing with somebody Um, you know my specialty was the longer distances so I definitely didn't hold the record long you know in fact I probably came second or third in that race so it never was officially mine but um (laughs) Uh, but it was really great. I, I never went to the world championships or the Olympics as a speed skater. You know, our team was so, so, so strong, but it was a real, you know, now that I think back, I learned so much speed skating that I apply in refereeing, whether it's in my training, whether it's in my preparation, whether it's how to live with, you know, a whole group of referees for 30 days. You know, um, I learned that starting with our small team of five men and five women that traveled to the World Cups for three weeks at a time. You learn how to live with different personalities and how to manage different personalities. That's fantastic. Is there any sport that you didn't play? Because from the list you were making before, you've done it all. You've tried them all. <laughs> a lot of the, the, the traditional sports, but uh, I can tell you... Um, I, my sister, she lived in Whistler, which is, you know, in the, in the Rocky mountains in, in, um, in in Canada. And, you know, I was like, Oh, let's try the biathlon. Well, I can tell you, I can't (laughs) shoot very well. So, uh, um, luckily she didn't give me a loaded gun, but I definitely can't shoot. Uh, there's many sports I can't do, but I do love to try different things. I love to be active. So, so that's really great. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. I think it's really cool how you mentioned the lessons that you took from, um, you know, that sport and how it played into your refereeing. And I'm sure this will come up later as we're chatting, but you know, it's then the, it's like the lessons from your speed skating you took into refereeing. And then there's, you know, so many, we always talk about the life lessons that you learn from refereeing that you can bring into real life, you know, whether that's as a 14 year old refereeing, just to get some more confidence and learning how to deal with people or, you know, right at the top end, like, um, like you did, I'm sure there's some incredible lessons that you will transition across all three. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about short track speed skating, which, you know, a lot of people call roller derby on ice, right? There's a lot of stuff that happens. There are people that fall and then they take you out and you can be in the front and they're trying to pass you. And even though they get disqualified, you know, sometimes that has an impact on your, your race and your, your ability to qualify. You know, I can remember a Canadian championship where we were qualifying our national team and a teammate of mine took me out and resulted in me not qualifying for the national team that year. I've, you know, had the only major injury I've ever had. I have a shoulder dislocation problem. And in the first race of our Olympic selection, I got taken out by a teammate and dislocated my shoulder again. And, you know, but you have to learn to kind of control, you know, in, in refereeing, we, you say control what you can control, right? Go out. Like there's, was I frustrated? Yes. Were, were there times that there were tears because I was so angry? Yes. 
But you know what? I learned really early on that you can only control certain things and you have to go out and control what you can. And that, I mean, there's a lot of things I learned, but that's one of the main things that I learned that transitioned so well from speed skating to, you know, from, from a lesson perspective, obviously the, the, I mean, I know we'll get into this, like the physical nature of the training, knowing my body, knowing what I need to do, being able to get in day in and day out and train by myself in the dark and all that kind of stuff. I learned that as well, being an athlete, but uh, there's so, so much that you learn. And what a lesson to learn that early as well. I know probably Jack thinks my eyes are going, Ooh, cause it's one of the things I only uh, bang on about the control, what you can control and, you know, just accept the uncontrollables because they're going to be there. Particularly in a sport like short track speed skating, as a, as a prouder Australian, uh, our finest, one of our finest Winter Olympic moments came in our short track speed skating with our Stephen Bradbury. And it was a similar situation <laughs> when people go flying and ultimately he went through and it, it's definitely a case of a sport with such fine margins and controlling the controllable really set you up perfectly for, for refereeing. Well, and I think, you know, this, I, when I speak, I, I do every once in a while, this, this talk that's called like nine life lessons. And I say nine life lessons that I learned in the classroom around the rink and on the soccer field, right? Because every part of my life kind of, I've learned something in one of the life lessons I have, I have the video of Stephen Bradbury, right? And the race and his feelings after the race about like, you know, what was I supposed to do? Was I supposed to like stand up and cheer? Was I supposed to be happy? You know, he, he felt this, this moment after he just won this gold medal, this moment of like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be happy that everybody fell? Am I, you know, and then what he said is, you know, he went back and he said, this gold medal is for all of the hours I put in on the ice, all of the training that I've done, I've done all of the other competitions I've gone to where I've never achieved my best. And I say to people like, you have to trust in the preparation that you've done to get to, you know, you need to know that you, you know, the laws that you've done the training that you're ready for, if this game goes to 120 minutes that you can do that. And I use his video clip kind of as like, you need to trust in all of that preparation, the pinnacle, the walking out on the field for in an Olympic final is about like the 15 and the 20 years that I spent training, right? In the field, in the dark, by myself, in the cold, right? And so it's funny that you mentioned Stephen Bradbury because like I actually use his video. I mean, he, he, he was nearing the end of his career as I was kind of in the middle. So we know each other, you know, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, we've gone to World Cups together. So I just think it's a great story because, um, you know, and, and a great Australian moment for sure. Oh, absolutely. I we saw it from Italy as well. And to, still to the day, I know it's still one of the greatest clips you'll ever see. But it was really interesting when you said about him at the end of the race, not knowing really how to react. And I guess that's something that could come in place. And, you know, you may feel a bit of the imposter syndrome when you think, well, I made it, but it's not really my, you know, achievement, but it's someone else's failure. But at the same time, as you said, well, it's all the training and hard work I put in. Well, everyone else fell. I didn't. So I still deserve it. And I think that's something that it can happen in refereeing as well. When you feel like either, either you get promoted and maybe someone else didn't, or you did, you had a decent game, but you feel like you haven't done your job at your best and you come out of it and you think, oh, that was, wasn't my greatest game. But then everyone goes, oh no, it was, you did really well. And that's something that can be quite difficult sometimes to deal with, especially when you're younger and starting in refereeing. Absolutely. Right. It's about seizing the opportunity. 
Like sometimes you might think, oh man, they gave me this game. Am I ready for this game? Like you have that self-doubt about whether it's, you know, your first game at the, the, at the boys level or first game with this, you know, assistance or your first kind of promotion. And you're thinking like, am I ready? But you have to be ready to seize that opportunity. And like Steven said, he, he won his medal in that semifinal, right? He had this great semifinal to get him into the final for that opportunity. And, you know, when we get these opportunities that maybe in our heads, sometimes we think, oh gosh, am I ready for them? If you see, like, you can't take anything away. If somebody goes out there and seizes that opportunity and has a great game, like that's all they can do, right? It's again, controlling, but making sure you're prepared kind of for each step. So it applies in, in all levels of refereeing for sure. We had it on um, a very good friend of mine who, who's also a referee on the A-League. He was, so here we have the fourth officials panel, which is, you know, I joke and say it's work experience, which I'm on. And then obviously becoming the middle, you're an A-League ref. My mate Kingy, he was um, on the fourth East panel for quite a while and was, was getting frustrated that he wasn't getting a run in the middle. And then it was, I think it was over in Wellington in New Zealand who play in our A-League. He was fourth official and in about the 10th minute, the, the referee got injured, which is obviously like, you know, awful, you don't want that to happen to anybody. But then Kingy went on, had a really good game and it just made him sit up and notice, hey, all right, maybe Kingy's ready for this. Um, and then the following year, he's on the on the national panel in, in the middle. And now I think three or four years later, he's a full-time referee with the FIFA badge. So, you know, all it takes is that one, I guess, sliding doors moment where you take your opportunity and, and that's where all the hard work becomes worth it um, because you're banging down, banging down, banging down that door, and then you get the chance, you take it, and then, well, you know, that look how his life has changed so much in the last few years just because of that exact... Absolutely, moment. absolutely. It's about, you know, you can, you can never take away... If somebody goes out and does... You know, I remember my very first men's professional game, you know, I knew in my mind I needed to go out, kind of have a good game, because if I didn't, then, you know, it wasn't only me, but I was also thinking about all the women coming behind me, whether they would get that opportunity... And then I had a good game. I got more opportunities. And I remember there were some people, you know, around saying like, why is she getting all these games? Is it because, you know, she's a, is it because she's a girl? Like, why is she getting these games? And finally I looked, looked one of them in the eye and I said, like you and I are doing the same games with the same assessors and passing the same fitness tests. So have you seen me referee? Come watch me referee. And you know, I'm performing on the field. And so that's my job. My job is to go out and perform on the field, you know, make sure you don't give them a reason not to give you another game. Right. We always say like, go out, do the game, get out, get out clean. And, and you know, I was able to seize that opportunity. And I knew in the back of my head in that first game, if I went out there and it didn't go well, that, you know, then I wasn't going to get another opportunity. Right. So it really is about trusting yourself, trusting your preparation. And every once in a while you do need a little kick in the butt, right? Like, when I got my first professional men's appointment, like I look, I saw it on the video, on the video screen, on the computer screen. And I like shut it down right away. I was like, Oh, is that right? Uh, you know, I was expecting this fourth official and I got the game and I kept looking at it during the day. Like, a, like I'm looking for some correction, like they're going to take it away. And I think we've all had that moment, that game, that you're not expecting. Yeah, exactly. And I waited a couple of days and then I was talking to my dad and, and I said, Oh, I got this game and I'm, <laughs> And he goes like, well, why haven't you accepted it? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, like, do you think that you're, you're not good enough? And like, it was just that little, I was like, no, I know I'm good enough. And then, and then I accepted it. And I, he goes like, and you can't be this nervous for the next month while you're preparing for this game or you're going to make yourself sick. So like, 
do the work, get to, you know, put your head down, start doing the work to prepare you for this game. But you're right. When something comes out of the blue, I was like, Oh no, like what's happening. Like I had the, had the same reaction as many people I'm sure had when they got their first kind of assignment. That's another one of my catchphrases, expect the unexpected, not just on the pitch, but also outside the pitch. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure I'm killing Jack with my cliches, but that's totally fine for a Friday morning. <laughs> uh, I, I hear them all the time, whether, whether Ale is, is coaching or instructing and I'm, there or, or just in life in general he's uh, full of knowledge and they're, wisdom they're great but it's a bit of a broken <laughs> record uh that's part of me growing up yes they're like a good dad joke they're like a good dad exactly joke, right? yeah I'm, I'm approaching that part of my life so i guess <laughs> that's where it's coming from <laughs> so you touched base on your first professional game so how about we deep dive a little bit into your refereeing career how you went from playing every single sport that you could play that you, you could put your hands on um to becoming a referee and ultimately reaching that, obviously, we, we've read your bio, but we'll get you talking about it first because there's, uh, there's some amazing milestones and achievements in there. Sure. So funny enough, I started refereeing. So I played, you know, local soccer and my coach was a young, you know, I had a team of coaches, young guys that were working for the local like soccer association and they made our entire soccer team take a refereeing course. And the purpose was so that we understood the laws so that we, you know, maybe didn't yell at the referees so much, but so that we had a good understanding. So I took the course, I passed the course, my coach worked for the association and said, anybody who passes the course can go out and referee some games. And that's how I started. So started to go out refereeing, you know, what I call swarm soccer. So little kids running around and chasing the ball. And I, you know, I think I was making $7 a game or something like that. And I, what I was doing was using, putting away that $7 for university, right? I think I was 15, 16 years old, started my own like separate bank account for university. I, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a good way to keep fit. It kept me involved in soccer. I was still playing at the time. And, you know, then I got offered house league games and things like that. And it was on a Friday night. So in Ottawa, where I live on Friday nights is like the old timer soccer games. So over 35. And now I think I shouldn't be calling them old timers because uh, I definitely am in that, that category, (laughs) but old timer soccer Friday night, you know, always, not always the most fun games to referee, because I always tell this, you know, they're always telling me, they were always telling me they've been playing soccer longer than I've been alive, or they were all professional players at some point in their life somewhere in the world. So really difficult to referee, but one, there was a team and I, and I don't know what team it was, but they, they wrote into our provincial like newsletter. It was actually a paper newsletter back then to say like, somebody needs to come watch this girl referee. Like we think she's like, she's got some talent. So what a great kind of story. And that's kind of how the provincial association found out about me. And then from there, you know, they sent out some local assessors and um, I, you know, I was one of very few um, women in, in my local area. So when, when bigger and bigger women's games started coming in, I got the opportunity to referee those. And, and that's kind of how it started. And, um, you know, I was still skating at the time and doing both, but um, that's how I started and how people kind of learned who I was and, and then how I progressed into, I guess the rest is history. I always say the rest is the rest is history, indeed. But I, so I've got your, uh, I guess, records in front of in front of me here. And as as we were having a chat about what we we're going to talk to you about, I mentioned that you did um, Brazil versus Australia at the 2016 Olympics, and and Benji jumped up and down saying it was one of the best games he'd he'd seen. 
And then another one that I thought was amazing was uh, Great Britain against Brazil, which is obviously the Olympic Games in London in front of, I think it was, you know, from memory, that was almost sold out at Wembley, which would have been phenomenal at that time. Yeah, 70,000, over 70,000, yeah. Do you want to tell us a bit about those elite tournaments? You know, you went to, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you went to four of the pinnacles of, of football. How was that? You know, tell us a little bit about it. Sure. So, so from a tournament perspective, just like any player, it's a real honor to get, you know, appointed to these, to these tournaments. It's, it's an achievement just like the players is to qualify, you know, for a world cup or for an Olympics. And so always really, really honored to go. And it really is its own environment, right? We are kind of, I mean, depending on what tournament you're at, you know, we're the 13th team or the 17th team or whatever. And it really is, you know, a group, a team working together every day, training. So you get up, you wear the same clothes, you eat in the same location, you're, you know, you train every day, you go, you're doing fitness, but you're also doing technical aspects on the field. And then you're spending time in the classroom, you're looking at games and watching clips and the debriefs are really about, not about what you did wrong or what others did wrong, but about learning from those opportunities. And it's a great situation where we're all working. Everybody wants to referee the final, right? Every referee wants to go there and wants to referee the final. There's only one referee trio who's going to get that opportunity. So everybody is working at their own goal, but we're all supporting each other to get there, right? No referee, you know, wants somebody to make a mistake because we know how it feels, right? To make a mistake in the middle of the field. I always say, Nobody understands what it feels like to stand in the middle of a soccer pitch and either make a mistake or make a great call other than another referee, right? So, and when something goes wrong in a soccer game at a tournament, you know, the only place you want to be is home with people who like, you know, your family and you want, you know, but you, you, you know, the, the other referees in the, are your family there. They're the ones who are going to help you kind of, re, you know, get your head back around if you have another game or support you if you don't. So, the environment is it's 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 a great environment it's like being on a team and 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 competing and um but also having some fun as well right the i'm lucky in the sense that you know my first fifa tournament was in 2008 and a, there's a good group of people who were at my first tournament in 2008 whether it was as an instructor or as a referee or a teammate that were still there you know we're still part of that team you know in 2018 or 2019 so that's really great and then you spoke about some of those big games, right? So the, you know, the, the game in Wembley with over 70,000 people and the home, um, I mean, say countries, because it was a combination. It was the, you know, the UK and um, Great Britain. And so against Brazil, you know, home side, the, the atmosphere was amazing. How often, you know, I had never refereed in front of 70,000 people and I haven't yet again, you know, it was a great environment Great Britain went up early. So, I mean, the fans were a little bit on my side in a sense. I wasn't dealing with a hostile crowd. Um, just a really great experience for me. And then, I mean, you spoke a little bit about the Brazil-Australia game. Really difficult game. Like that was first half, like two completely different styles, right, of, of teams playing. So in the first half, it was a real struggle to find like the right, you know, that, that right feeling, the right balance of fouls, the right, you know, everything I called, it seemed like everyone was mad at me. Like it didn't matter what I called, who I called it for. Like there was somebody yelling at me in that first half. But if I think back to like the second half and the extra time, like I really, for me, 
I think that was some of the best refereeing that I had done. Like if I think, but you know, it was, it was end to end. I, I think I finally found the right balance in that, in that second half and that, that extra time. Um, it was just intense. Like it was, it was 120 minutes plus because we went to kicks from the mark, like of, of focus and intense running. But like I ran like, Oh, I think like 14 kilometers or something like that. Like it was end to end. It was fast. You know, Australia was physical, you know, Brazil was, you know, really trying to be really technical, which is difficult when you're playing a physical team. Right. So it was this really difficult balance, but in my mind, when I think if in the, of the, you know, if I think rank my games of not from whether it was a final or whether it was, you know, or something like that. And I think of like the best, you know, some of the best games that I enjoyed refereeing, you know, I think back to Germany, France in 2015 uh, quarterfinal at the um, world cup. I think about the Australia Brazil game, that quarterfinal. Cause I think that game are, are my team's performance in that game we refereed our way to the final, right? Canada had just won and was going into the semifinal. So we thought we were going home, right? And we just had such, I think our performance was, you know, we had a good performance. I felt like we had a good performance. And then I think obviously about the game in Wembley, like what a, what a great, uh, great game to, to have refereed. So I've, I've been, I've been really fortunate to be, have great tournaments and some really, really exciting games as well. Oh, it's amazing. And it's amazing to hear about those experiences. I was, Looking at the games you did at the 2015 World Cup, obviously you just mentioned a couple of them, but I'm amazed at how many games you did. You know, you did three games in the space of almost 10 days, which were all group stage games. You must have been exhausted. That's full yeah. on. It, you know, we say expect the unexpected. That was unexpected. I, I think if you, if the, I think of the only tournament that I really like felt I didn't have is there's very few where I felt like I didn't have a lot of games. I think if we look back, many of my tournaments, I did a lot of games, but that World Cup in Canada, you're right. It was like I did a game on the opening day, you know, on the in the opening round, and then you think you're going to get to kind of okay, well, you're not going to get a game in the second. You're going to get a rest. And then I got a game and then I was like, okay, well now, you know, I'm going to get a rest again. It was like, nope, you get another game. And I actually did, you know, three, like four games ever. So it was four games in the first four rounds. So yeah, it was, you know, there was a time I was like, oh, let's go for a walk. You know, we're doing some training and I was like, oh, I feel good. And people started like the trainers started asking me like, how are you feeling? Like what's happening? I'm like, oh, I feel good. But you know, I know I'm going to get like a little break now. And they're like, are you sure? Like, how are you feeling? Cause I think they knew. And they were like, Carolyn, like, but I think something, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's my physiology or was my physiology when I was younger, but I was able to recover pretty quickly. I think that was, that's something that maybe it's my history as being better in like the longer distances of skating where you're used to having lactic acid and being able to like either continue competing with that lactic acid, like that burn. And for some reason you're able to keep going or not, maybe that's why, but uh, I was lucky. Yeah. I was able to recover, but for sure. um, It was, it was a tough uh, first uh, few days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I bet. But obviously it was amazing that it was in your your home country and your friends and your family uh, were there to support you. How was it refereeing a World Cup in your home country? For me, that's the dream. We've got the World Cup coming to Australia, the next Women's World Cup. And I know there's a few of our colleagues who are on the candidates program hoping to be there at the home World Cup. I mean, it's amazing, right? I, you, you know, 
it's it's one thing to watch somebody, you know, a friend or a, a family member on TV. I think it's really different to be in the stands. And my first game of the Women's World Cup was in my home where I live now in Ottawa. Um, so there was, you know, when they announced the the referee's name, which normally nobody says anything, right? There were these cheers and and I think it was it was nice to you know, for me to be able to have my family there, to have them watch the games. I mean, my family's always been super supportive. They come to the field, they watch the games, but even in my international skating career, my family never traveled to an international event with me. So, you know, both my parents were officials in speed skating. So if there was a world cup in Canada and I was competing, they'd be there if there was, but they never traveled to see me referee. Um, this was kind of the one opportunity for them to see me refereeing at a World Cup. Um, I did many. I was based on the eastern side. So at the World Cup um, in Canada, we were we had two bases just because Canada is so big. So I was you know, lucky enough to be on the on the eastern side based in Montreal. Um, I refereed all of my games in Ottawa or Montreal. Uh, so, you know, it was a really great opportunity. I think it's one, it's great to have the support of your family. Nice to have your friends be able to see you kind of referee live. It's very different. And I think the other thing is it was a really great opportunity just to showcase Canada, right? To showcase all of the great parts of your country, um, which I think was, was really fun as well. You've spoken a lot about obviously how you competitive you are. And I feel really close to you because I'm super competitive in everything I do. But at the same time, when you're refereeing, I think it's a very interesting area of refereeing because obviously you've been at an elite tournament with all your teammates, which are the other referees. So you want them to succeed, but at the same time, you want to succeed as well. And there's only one refereeing team that is going to referee the final. So I always find those dynamics really interesting and, and delicate because, you know, I used to live it when I used to ref, obviously. Back in Italy, we used to bring pastries when you used to get... Um, promoted you would take them to Thursday night training everyone would celebrate when, but when someone else that was at your same level would take them you'd be happy for them but at the same time you feel inside I want to be that person so I'm really interested to see and to hear your your view and what do you think it's the best way of dealing with these feelings which obviously are humans because we are, all want to succeed but also we want the people that are there on our team to succeed. And sometimes that may, came, may, that may come at our expenses, obviously. So what do you think about that? Sure. So it, for sure, it's difficult, right? Because, and, and to me, it's a little bit about the control, what you can control, right? Uh, the appointment of, a, of the team to the final, there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. It's not just performance, right? There's what teams go through, you know, is it the team in your confederation or not? Is it, you know, especially, you know, for me coming from CONCACAF where we have the U.S. and Canada both, you know, doing, but the U.S. for sure doing quite well at the World Cups, right? Of course. Um, always yeah. having that. And then there's performances and, and all of these other things that come into it, whether there's politics or not, who knows? And so really being able to say, I've done everything that I could do and said, like, now it's out of my hands, is, is something that I really take to heart. Like if I don't get the game, it's not because of something that I did. When I went to my first um, world, my under 20 world cup in 2008, I refereed many, I had a lot of games. Again, I think I had five games in the middle there and I had a semifinal 
And when I left there, I was really actually quite nervous for my next tournament because I said to myself, like, I felt like I'd had such a good tournament. Like, and I knew that what they were looking for was for you to, to show that you're developing and improving and learning. And what I was most nervous about was, you know, I thought I'd done pretty well at that first tournament. So how am I going to show that I'm improving and that I'm learning? And so I really have taken that to heart. So every single time somebody sees me or I go to a tournament or I referee a game, I want to be the best referee for that game. That doesn't mean that just because I passed the men's test, I should be doing, they should be giving me men's games. I want to get that game because I'm the best referee for that game. And I've kind of approached and that's been my approach to every game. So it's been my approach to every game. It's been my approach to how I train, how I help others. Like I am, you know, let's work together. Let's train together. Let's get better together. But you're going to have to work hard and or you're going to have to work harder than me to take my spot, right? Like I am going to force you to take my spot from me. I'm not going to give it to you. It's always been my approach and not in a bad way. Like, it, I, I like I like the people coming behind and pushing you. It makes us you better referees. When you get stagnant, it that's when you 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 stop performing. So having that push and sometimes you know having that little dip in your performance or your fitness or having that that some that period of time where stuff isn't going the like going right and then say okay like Caroline, <laughs> like what is happening? Let's sit down. Let's plan. Let's get this back on track is what helps me. Right. So I, when I speak to people, I say like, you have to a little bit like worry about yourself, right. Worry about yourself, not in the sense of, you know, don't talk to other people and step all over people, but you can't be worried about other people getting opportunities. What you need to do is be ready when you get the opportunity, right. Again, like if you're not ready when that opportunity comes and that's a problem, perform do your training, make sure if you're supposed to be submitting your forms on time, you're submitting them on time, you're submitting your training log as you need to, like that nobody's checking all those small things, check all the boxes. And then, you know, I always say there are so many opportunities. So work hard and there'll be, you know, hopefully there'll be an opportunity. Yes, I know not everyone's going to get a FIFA badge that wants a FIFA badge. I know that. And I know it's difficult when it doesn't happen. I've spoken to to colleagues of mine who have just worked so hard and have never been able to kind of you know hit that pinnacle and it's really hard and it's about you know my job then is trying to get them motivated right let's get motivated let's try something new and that 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 doesn't take anything away from me right that that we have to help each other no one's out there helping referees you know like the teams are thinking like how can i help the referees so we have to do it and only by challenging each other and working together and having, you know, good friends and having people challenge you when you need to give you a hug when you need a hug. I mean, it's the only way we're going to be able to continue kind of growing. That was precious, precious advice. I loved it. It's like, yeah, that's your, that's your Caroline yeah, quote. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm taking notes as we go. I'm like, there you go. There's some, there's some quotes I'm going to steal and reuse as my click. But no, they're great, right? Cause they're lessons of people who, you know, people who listen to this or anybody who referees can hear it and think, oh, okay, how can I apply that to, to what I do? I think that's really important. And that's the beauty of, you know, what we can do at Ref Coach talking to incredible people like you is, is people can just take away these little tidbits or quotes or whatever you want to call them. And it gives someone that aha moment, as Ali always says, well, then, then that's amazing, right? We've helped other people. It's a fantastic thing to be able to do.
both for refereeing and, and for life as well. We're really excited to have launched the Ref Coach members area on the website. We're going to be putting loads of fun, exciting, educational content on there, so you need to become a member. Head to the Ref Coach website, refcoach.org, to sign yourself up. You were preparing for the for the 2019 World Cup in France. Um, everything was going really well. You were going to go to your third World Cup, which would have been incredible you know what a, what a place to be not many referees can say they've done that let's be fair yeah exactly and then obviously your life changed you were preparing and your medicals etc and then a, a cancer diagnosis came along yeah i mean we were ready like my like i think the hard part there's you know there's a lot of hard parts about this this part of the story but you know one of the hard parts was like we were ready my trio was ready for this world cup we were ready to do really really well and, um, yeah, it just, it was, um, you know, I was having this weird like kink in my back. I couldn't quite get it to go away. I didn't know what it was. I was feeling like some pain and, some, um, and I just decided like, okay, Caroline, you need to go get this checked out. You know, I was kind of self-diagnosing, like I'm a PhD and I, so I call myself a fake doctor and, you know, I was kind of like self-diagnosing things. And, um, so this was, you know, probably like six weeks before the world cup. And uh, I decided, okay, Carolyn, let's go. We should go to the doctor and see if we can figure out what's happening. And uh, yeah, I went to my family doctor, who then you know sent me to um, to get some tests done, and uh, basically came back literally to on the fr- so we were leaving for the World Cup on Tuesday, and on Friday I had doctors uh, doctor's appointment at the hospital where they told me that I had breast cancer, and um, you know I think. Uh, everything happened really, really quickly, right? Because I was preparing to leave for the World Cup. I literally, like the first, like I said, the first little inkling of anything was, you know, six weeks before I left and um, kind of, you know, everything, you know, weekly kind of doctor's appointments to get to where I needed to be. And on the Friday um, before I left, they they told me I had breast cancer. And, and the very first question I asked was, okay, well, so can I go to the World Cup for six weeks? And then like, we can deal with this when we get back. And I say the doctor recommended I didn't go. My mom who was with me said the doctor was pretty clear that six weeks was going to be too long and that I needed to start treatment as soon as possible. And so that was really tough, you know, that, you know, we asked the question, like, what are the, what do I need to have done? And they're like, you need chemo, you need surgery, you need radiation. I was like, okay, are you sure? Like, can we just like is there any, no, like you only have these couple decisions that you need to make. And I said, all right. I said, so that was at 10 o'clock in the morning on Friday, four o'clock. I called the Canadian soccer association to let them know, um, six o'clock in the morning on Saturday, I called uh, FIFA to let them know. And then, uh, I proceeded to call my two assistant referees, which was probably the two, the most difficult conversations that I had to have. Um, you know, both my assistants, it was their first world cup, Um, They were new, they were, you know, and they were, they are so good. Like these are, you know, these assistants are, they're the, you know, top assistant referees. So, um, you know, that was really difficult. So that was a really terrible Saturday. (laughs) It was, you know, not, not great. And, um, and then kind of turned to um, what were, what was going to happen, you know, with the, with the world cup, like, you know, obviously by Wednesday, people were going to notice I wasn't there, you know, by the Thursday when they did the the media thing that, you know, there was going to be more questions about why I wasn't there. So really, um, it the, 
kind of turned to what should, you know, what should we say? And I really felt that, listen, this is a women's tournament. One in eight women in, you know, Canada and the United States uh, are going to be diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, within, in their lifetime. And with the number of women that are there, um, you know, this is, I think, something that should be, you know, the attention should be brought to it. And so decided that we would be very open and say that I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. I started chemotherapy on the same day that we kicked off the World Cup. So I had my chemotherapy in the morning and then went back home to try and watch um, the games on TV. The support I received from my colleagues, um, you know, my colleagues, but also FIFA and, and then the staff there was amazing. I mean, the videos I received and the comments all while they're, you know, participating for them in the biggest tournament in their life. And and I was lucky enough to even make it to France to watch the final. I flew there for for uh, five days. I didn't tell my doctor. Um, <laughs> he said. He said. I, he said to me. He said because because when I was diagnosed, he said to me. So I first was diagnosed and I had met a surgeon. And then the following week I went and met with my medical oncologist, which was who you talked to about chemotherapy. So he kind of explained things and he said, like, when do you want to start? I was like, uh, like now, can we start now? And he was like, nobody says that, you know, like most people are like, can I go home and think about things and plan my life? And I was like, let's get started. And he said in there, he said, oh, I'm really sorry. This is going to ruin your summer. Right. Because I'd been diagnosed in May. And I said, well, I don't think you realize how much you've ruined my summer. I kind of and I think I probably did say, you know, something like, you know, that I was supposed to be going to the World Cup, but it probably didn't register. But so when I went back and it had obviously been all over the news, he was like, I he's like, holy crap, like I had no idea. I said, well, when I told you we're going to ruin my my summer, like I really meant it. And I said, but I did actually go to the final. And he's like, you went to the final? about without medical advice. I said, well, it wasn't against medical advice because I didn't ask you. I was like, so you didn't give me any advice, right? So, but <laughs> but it was really great to go, you know, I was bald for sure. And, um, but it was great to at least be there um, and really feel, um, you know, see my my assistant referees and some of the, I, you know, I, I went after not everybody was there. So some people had already been released, but it was a really great kind of opportunity for me. And, it, you know, in the back of my mind, it really helped kind of me get through the next four months, which I was, you know, doing chemotherapy. I had goosebumps listening to some of the things you were saying. It's, it's an incredible story. And, you know, the strength you, you had and the strength you clearly showed, even with your approach to the medication and to the, you know, to therapy, I think it, it comes back again to controlling what you can control. It goes back to that because what's the thing that you can control when you get such a diagnosis? Uh, you know, my auntie got the same diagnosis a few years ago and she had the same approach. She's like, well, what am I going to do? Just get on with it. You know, I'm just going to do my therapy and control what I can control. It's, it's a great story of resilience, which the competitiveness you have and that you always had. And the, I guess also the things you learn from life and, and sport, you know, it's where it all comes together and made you a fighter in this situation. For sure. I mean, the, the first thing that, you know, so I was diagnosed, I started chemotherapy, I did two rounds, I went to France. And the first thing I said was, I'm going to be ready for the Olympics. And in my mind, listen, did I know whether that was even possible? No, because I didn't know what the next kind of steps looked like. I didn't know what type of surgery I was going to need. I didn't know what, if I would need continued treatment. But for me, having that goal 
was really important, right? That, that I'm going to do what I can to get myself ready for the Olympics in 2020. And I worked towards that. And ultimately, I knew it was going to be really short, right? Like I knew I was in treatment till at least early January. And I knew that I needed to pass the fitness test by like late March, which, you know, is not very much time. Ultimately, I wasn't able to get ready. And I mean, the Olympics got canceled, but, you know, ultimately it was probably a couple weeks short. Like I was going to, it was canceled before my kind of deadline to pass a fitness test, but it was, you know, pretty, you know, it would have been really tight. But for me, having that goal was really, really important. That thing that was in the, in the, in the future, and I would do whatever I could to get there, knowing that there was a lot of things I couldn't control, whether I had to continue treatment, which I had to do. Um, you know, the, you speak about control, what you can control is really big, right? Like there is so much unknown with cancer, right? We talk about scanxiety, having to go get scans all the time. You know, you walk into the doctor's office thinking it's just a regular follow-up and then it's not right. Something, you know, you get good news, you get bad news. So being able to kind of say, okay, Caroline, you know, what is the worst case scenario? And, you know, what are we going to do after that? You know, what, you know, what could happen? What do we need to do? What? And I, I've kind of approached it like I would prepare for a game. Like I do my, I, I figure out what, you know, I do my research. I have my questions. I ask my questions. I make sure, you know, that I'm ready for everything. I plan my calendar. Um, you know, it's just, it, there's a lot of unknowns. Like I said, I'm still in treatment. So, you know, there's been highs and lows. It hasn't always been super positive, but you know, the other thing is, is tomorrow's not guaranteed to anybody, right? It, for anybody. So you just have to take it day by day and there's good days and there's bad days and just like refereeing and, um, you know, maybe the consequences are a little bit more, you know, more dire in some cases. But um, for me, it's about being positive. It's about, you know, surrounding myself with the right people and, and yeah, controlling what I can. I love that attitude. I absolutely love that attitude. I think everybody, referees or not, can can take something from that. And if we can have that kind of mindset in our lives, I mean, especially with everything that's going on in the yeah, world at the moment, exactly. I mean, everyone's corona, corona, corona. But if you can apply that kind of mindset, and I know, Ali, you touch on this a lot, but yeah, the world will be a better place for sure. I was, I was really intrigued, sort of in my mind, we just went full circle in our conversation when you just talked about how you um, were preparing for your cancer therapy and your sessions, uh, like you would prepare for a game, you know, so you learned these lessons from speed skating on how to prepare for refereeing and et cetera. And then you learned, took these lessons from refereeing and applied it to, to the challenges that you're now facing. I thought that was a really nice journey that you'd gone through, you know, not a refereeing journey, but almost a life journey and these life skills that you've managed to take away from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think if you, if you don't learn in every, you know, you have to enjoy all of the opportunities you have. And I think, you know, refereeing is one of those really unique cosms, I don't know, of, of life, right. You can learn so much and I think you have to learn from everything. And uh, that's kind of what keeps life interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that for me is standing out a lot from talking to you is, your level of acceptance of the things that, again, are out of your control. It's just, it is what it is. You know, you have future goals, short-term goals, long, long-term goals, and you think about those. That's, well, that's my goal. I am doing what I can to control those. You know, I can't just 
not accept it and bang my head against the wall because, oh, what am I going to do about it? And I think also having those goals helps a lot, not just from a refereeing perspective, but in life, like with your example, which was, your story was so inspirational to me. Yeah. And I think too, right. You have to, you just have to, is it frustrating sometimes, right? Like you, 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 is it scary sometimes, right? Absolutely. Right. It's, it's not that it's easy to, to accept that maybe you're banging your head against the wall for a refereeing, you know, you're trying to get promoted or is it, is it scary to have cancer? Absolutely. And to not know what's happening. But I think, you know, you have to spend the energy in, in, in things that you can change and improve. Right. And so the, the approach that I've taken is to try and put the energy in the places where I think I have the most value and try to make the best decisions I can. You know, will I make wrong decisions sometimes? Probably. Right. But um, I'm just trying, I do my very best to try and put the energy in places that I can influence or change. Um, easier said than done. Totally recognize that. <laughs> totally recognize that. I mean, I'm making it sound like I'm some like really easygoing person. And those who know me are like, what is Caroline talking about right now? But I think it's true. You have to, it's, you know, otherwise you're just spending energy, you know, it's going into, like you said, into the yeah. wall, right? Caroline, it has been an absolute pleasure having you join us on the podcast um, from a career in speed skating and every sport under the sun through to an esteemed footballing career with refereeing. It's the lessons that you've learned and picked up along the way that you've shared with us today that have been so inspiring. And I feel like I can apply these in my own refereeing, but I feel more so in life as well, controlling what we can control, having that mindset, having that mentality. And it's, it's really inspiring. And, and I've learned a lot. I've really appreciated you coming on. I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for having me. This has been really fun. Can you send some sun? We've got some snow. So can you send us some sun here to Canada? <laughs> I think it's going to be 34 degrees here today. I think that's 100 Fahrenheit. Wow, yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do our best. But no, echoing um, Benji's comments, thank you so much for joining us. There's some awesome life lessons to take away from this. And I know it's going to be... I we're actually going for dinner with, with the, the referees in Melbourne tonight. So I can tell you what my number one topic of conversation is going to be. So thank awesome. you Awesome. Thanks much. so much, guys. Thank you, Caroline.